0: Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, we continue in this series, Unstoppable. We're looking at how we can live unstoppable lives in spite of all the challenges that life throws at us. And this ancient letter, 1 Thessalonians, today turns a corner to look at a subject that 2,000 years on is exactly as relevant as it was when the Apostle Paul wrote it. And the subject is so relevant, therefore, to every single person in this building. I know that, even though I don't know all of you. Why? Well, because, as Benjamin Franklin once put it, the two things most certain in life are death and taxes, right? Now, the good news is this is not a talk about taxes sponsored by HMRC. Are you relieved? It is a talk about our unstoppable hope in the face of death. And that's why it is so relevant, because have you noticed, 2,000 years on from when this letter was written, despite extraordinary advances in technology, just as many people are dying today as they were then, right? We increased life expectancy, that's wonderful, but today it is still the ultimate statistic that one-in-one people die, (laughs) and that means it includes you and me, right? Break a little secret to you, you're living and you're dying, One day we will face that most ultimate of realities, whoever we are, as one rather unpopular undertaker used to sign his letters, yours eventually. (laughs) Eventually. It's just a matter of time. And yet we live in a culture that doesn't like to talk about this stuff. You may never have heard, despite the fact that it's coming your way and mine, we may never have heard a straight talk about death before in our lives and about the hope we can have that's unstoppable in spite of it. Have you noticed we don't even use the word, let alone talk about it. We use other euphemisms, don't we? Have you noticed this? Someone's died, we don't say that, they we say they've kicked the bucket. Or pop their clogs. Who knows where these things come from? But it's almost our way of being like an ostrich. We bury our heads in the present, in the sand of the present moment, to try and avoid what is on the horizon. We eat health foods, we join a gym, and we sing along with Robbie Williams, I hope I'm old before I die. And then we get on with life as if it's never gonna happen. That is until our story is punctuated by those moments where, like it or not, we are brought to face The reality of death. That might be our own mortality stares us in the face. There's various ways this can happen. That might just be the general process of aging that catches up with us as we go on in years. If you don't believe me, it's well illustrated by those on our front row today. So take a look at that. (laughs) After the service, forgive me. I had David Robertson particularly in mind this morning, but others besides. We, We are all aging, right? And it shows. That's one way. But more than that, we can face moments of near-death experiences. We've probably all had a few of those. That can shake us to the core. We might also have those rather difficult moments where we experience physical symptoms, we face a tough diagnosis, and we realize that health is not good and things are catching up with us. So sometimes our own mortality can face us, and other times it can be because we lose a loved one around us. That may be the context in 1 Thessalonians. It seems that after Paul planted this church and then left it, some of those in the congregation had died, possibly even killed as martyrs for their faith. So Paul's writing to those who are grieving, answering questions like, what happens to loved ones who die? Will we ever see them again? You know, that was their questions, but those are our questions as well, aren't they? We also face these challenges in life. Exactly, at a personal story, exactly 100 days ago to this very day, my seemingly unstoppable father stopped. And our family has since been facing the challenge of bereavement, as on the 18th of March 2017, my father died. So this message this morning is not abstract theology, this is now our story. And I've shed a few tears preparing to bring this message today, because this stuff is personal, right? It's very real. And it cuts to the very heart of who we are and all the adjustments and changes that bereavement brings. So listen, if this is true for you as well, maybe for your family or your circumstances, your friendships are facing these challenges, this comes with hopefully a bit of humor, some challenge, but a lot of love as we speak from a deep place about two questions. Firstly, how can we grieve with unstoppable hope? And secondly, what is our unstoppable hope in the face of death? Is that okay? Two questions. Firstly, how can we grieve with unstoppable hope? Now, it's worth saying before we dive into these, that Paul was writing in 1 Thessalonians assuming that those he was writing to were Christians. And my talk will assume something similar. Those who both are living and those who've died, he assumes they are in Christ. But I realize that many of us will be grappling with other questions about what happens to those who die who seemingly weren't Christians. Paul doesn't address that. This letter doesn't go there. Perhaps because Paul realizes that in the end, only God can comment on that one. Ultimately, only God is the judge of all men and women's hearts. He knows the inner secrets. He knows the quiet prayers that have been prayed or not. And he will make the right decision. We have to leave those tricky, unknown questions safe with the Lord. But what we can talk about is what happens to those who are in Christ Who die and go to be with him. And the first question, then, as I've said, is how do we grieve with unstoppable hope when that happens? In verse 13, Paul puts it this way We do not want you to be uninformed or to grieve like those with no hope. Now, notice then, Christians do grieve, but with hope. And it's when we bring these two together that we can say our loss means that we cry a lot. But their gain means we hope a lot. And Christianity brings them together in a unique way, grief and hope, that avoids two equal and opposite dangers. The other dangers are this. Firstly, one danger is to just think that death is natural, so get over it. In other words, we don't grieve properly. Some people handle it a bit like that, with a stiff upper lip Or a fake Christian smile, they just try and breeze their way through it as if it doesn't hurt and it hasn't really happened. Tell a few more jokes, have a few more beers, and try and suppress the emotions that these things bring our way. But have you noticed that when we suppress emotions, it can become toxic? We actually need to face the real loss and challenge head on and be more honest than that about the grief. Equally, in a world that is so gripped by atheistic evolution, you can even hear people putting out theories that death is just natural, even necessary. The only way of survival of the fittest working and evolution of life is that we have to die. It's always been this way and it's natural. Just get over it. Listen, if you've been at the funeral of a loved one, you'll know everything screams out inside you. It wasn't meant to be this way, right? Death is not natural. In the Bible, we find quite the opposite. At the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, there is no death in the world. And at the end of the Bible, in Revelation, there will be no death in the world. It wasn't meant to be this way. It's not natural. It's a temporary invasion of an alien force, sin and death, that one day God's going to get rid of. But in the meantime, as a result, because death is not natural, it is natural to grieve when someone dies. It's Christian to cry when people die, right? Jesus did at the grave of Lazarus. The early church did when Stephen died. We cry when loved ones die because it wasn't meant to be this way and it hurts. Some of us are there and have been there a lot, I'm sure. And as a result, we therefore face not just a funeral and a difficult few days, but we face a grieving process. With many stages and no shortcuts. The Bible puts it this way: "Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." It's like walking through a season, a valley of life. Notice, we can't sit in the valley and stay in the pain. We have to move on. Time heals, and we've got to move forwards. However painful these experiences may be, we have to adjust and we have to change, and we've got to move on. We can't sit in that valley, but equally we must not run and race through the valley and just try and suppress it. No, no, no. We walk slowly but surely. With our hand in the Lord's hand, we walk through the pain of bereavement. Christians grieve properly. It's proper to be a Christian and to cry when people die because that's our experience of saying it wasn't meant to be this way. That's one danger that we don't grieve, but the other danger is the opposite end We do grieve, Paul says, but not like those who have no hope. The other danger is that we say death is final, so give up. And we give in to death as if it's beaten us and our loved ones. No, no, no. Paul says we grieve with hope. If you don't have hope in the face of death, you can't cope with all that it means. If you don't have hope, you can't cope. And many don't cope. With the loss of loved ones, they find themselves hurting themselves and others through all kinds of negative effects on life, whether that's slipping into forms of depression or drinking too much or bouncing from one relationship to another or becoming a workaholic. And they're always that we're not coping and we're trying to avoid what's happened. Listen, to be a Christian is to say, I don't have to go through all of that because in the face of death, Jesus Christ has brought us hope. Amen? He has come into this world in order that despite the pain of bereavement and loss, we can grieve with hope. Christians do it differently when it comes to grieving and to dying. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, used to say, our people die well. (laughs) And what he meant was when you see people with hope die, it's a glorious thing as well as a sad thing. And I would add, our people grieve well. Christians do it differently. And I know that's the case here for all of the pain and the challenge of these things. I know that this is a church that does it differently because we grieve with hope. I was speaking to a a guy who lives down the road from us. He doesn't come to Kingsgate, but we got into conversation and he said, well, I have been to Kingsgate once for a funeral. And then he paused and said, well, it was kind of, I think it was a funeral. It was kind of a funeral. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it was happy. (laughs) It was different to anything he'd ever been to before because along with the tears and the sadness, there was also a sense of victory and celebration because we grieve as those with hope. Amen? Now, why? Where does this hope come from? Or as our second question puts it today, what is our unstoppable hope in the face of death? Well, in verse 13, Paul gives us a key phrase. We do not want you to be uninformed the key is this that the big problem with death is that it leaves us uninformed literally that means without knowledge death becomes the great unknown people die but we never seem to hear back from them about what happens on the other side right there seems to be no mobile phone reception on the other side so we don't generally hear back despite our modern communication age we haven't solved that problem I say that with one exception. There was a Scottish couple, actually, who were celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. And they decided to go back to the same hotel in Spain where they'd had their honeymoon. So they went off, but unfortunately, because of schedules, they, um, they had to leave with the husband going a day earlier than the wife. She was going to follow on behind. And when he got to the very same hotel they'd stayed in, he realized everything had been upgraded and they now had computers in the bedrooms. So he decided to send an email to his wife, anticipating her arrival, typed the email address with one letter wrong, and so unfortunately, uh, back in the UK, a widow was just returning from the funeral of her husband, who happened to be a vicar, decided to check her emails, saw one, shrieked and fainted, and her son came in and read it, and this is what the email said. Subject, darling, I've arrived. (laughs) And then the email said this. I know you'll be surprised to hear from me, but they have computers here now, and we're allowed to send emails to our loved ones. I've just arrived and been checked in, and everything's prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. It's boiling hot down here. (laughs) The problem with death is that we don't hear back from the other side. It's the great unknown. Shakespeare, in his play Hamlet, put it this way, death is the undiscovered country from which no traveler returns. In other words, imagine us, the living, walking through life down a one-way street that ends in death and takes us round the corner to unseen, unknown realities. And the problem we've got is that no one who goes round that corner seems to come back up the one-way street and tell us what's going to happen, right? Is there hope beyond death? Death without the Christian faith would be the big unknown. But everything changes because of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Paul simply says this, "'We believe that Jesus died and rose again.'" And that, folks, changes everything. Because for the first time, someone did go round that corner and died. But three days later, he rose again and appeared on many occasions back in Jerusalem to real people to demonstrate that he is in fact the one person who can give us victory in the face of death. And the resurrection appearances of Jesus, imagine him almost like one who died, rose again, and then came back up the one-way street to appear to those yet to face death in order to reassure us that when we get there, he's waiting for us, and he's the one who gives us unstoppable hope. Jesus Christ, then, is our hope in the face of death. And when we put our trust in him, we can know with certainty where we're going when, we're, when we die. And that changes everything. And for a very moving, real-life illustration of this, take a look at Margaret's testimony.
1: Hi, I'm Margaret. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer Um, and it was diagnosed terminal with up to five years to live. Thankfully, with treatment, I was healed and went home happy. Two years ago, um, unfortunately, I got diagnosed with cancer again, a new cancer, so the original cancer was healed. It has gone. This was a new cancer. Um, And um, the diagnosis is and was. I've got up to three months to live. Even with that diagnosis, I have hope. And so I wake up every morning, almost the first things that come out is, is, is the song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And one day I'll be in heaven praising God with 10,000 reasons, and one of them will be that he's been with me through this. I do know with the diagnosis that, um, you know, terminally ill means death, but I have a hope and I, and I know where I'm going. And even when I walk through the darkest night, through the valley of the shadow of death, It is only a shadow, there is nothing to fear. I'm going to heaven and I would love everybody to have that and to know that if they've got their faith in God and put their trust in God, that's what they've got to look forward to. A place of no pain, no suffering, that is what heaven is. And even though I have got cancer, I am unstoppable because I have got the hope in in God and in Jesus that one day this will all be over and we will be in a wonderful place.
0: Wow, isn't that moving and powerful? Thank you so much to Margaret for just incredible honesty and courage. And it shows us the difference these things make when the chips are down and it's real. Jesus gives us unstoppable hope in spite of all the challenges that we face. Now, that's the headline, if you like. Jesus has brought victory over death, we can know where we're going. But that's just the headline. In 1 Thessalonians 4, as we heard in the reading, Paul then fills in some of the detail of what that means. Because have you noticed that even if you believe this stuff, you will still die? And the question still needs to be asked, what then? What actually happens to those who die? And what will happen in the ultimate future that we look forward to? Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul then outlines a sort of roadmap. And this roadmap for what happens next This roadmap has two reference points. Firstly, behind us, the resurrection of Jesus, and then ahead of us, the return of Jesus. And these two reference points mean that our unstoppable hope comes in a sort of two-stage timetable, okay? Let me illustrate what I mean. Firstly, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus, we have what I'm calling a halfway hope. And our halfway hope is this, that when believers die, they go to be with Jesus in heaven. That's our halfway hope. But then when Jesus returns, the dead and the living in Christ will be given perfect resurrection bodies to enjoy a new creation reunited once more. This is our ultimate hope. So if you step back from it all, you can see the big picture of our unstoppable hope. Two stages. Right now, between the resurrection and the return of Christ, we have a halfway hope. And then beyond the return of Christ, we have the ultimate hope of of resurrection and reunion, God's people, all together again in this new creation. So I want to unpack these two stages. Firstly, let's consider our halfway hope. Now, to understand how this works, we need to consider the human person to basically consist of two parts, a body, the physical matter, and a soul, the real person that animates that body. Now, of course, God designed us for these two to be one, fully integrated. But in death, it is possible for a stage of temporary separation where the body dies and the person, the soul, goes to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. Now, if you've ever seen someone die, been with someone in their final moments, you'll know that this is how it feels. It feels like the person who was animating that body that we could be with them, in the moment of death, it's as if that person leaves, the eyes go vacant, the body is now no longer that person but a corpse, and the person is no longer present. And the question is, where have they gone? And Paul's answer in verse 14 is this, that he says they have... Fallen asleep in Jesus. Assuming they were Christians, they have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, notice here, then, Paul uses the language of sleep rather than death. This is not avoidance, like some of those other euphemisms. This is transformation. Paul's wanting us to realize that Jesus Christ has so defeated death. And transformed our experience of it that it's not really proper to call it death anymore. What happens to a Christian when they die is not full death experience. That's what Jesus took for us on the cross. He took the full horror and hellish reality of God-forsaken darkness and separation. And because on the cross he died for in our hell, if you like... Because Jesus took the full force of death, as Margaret said, it's only the shadow that passes over us. Death has been utterly transformed for a Christian. He took our hell in order that when we die, we might rise into his heaven. That's the way Jesus transforms the Christian experience of hope. So here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. He says, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord." We have buried my Father's body in the grave, but my Father is not there. He has gone to be with the Lord Jesus. He is now in a place beyond pain and suffering and frustration. He's in a place that the Apostle Paul describes as at home or at sleep. If you've ever seen someone sleep, they are tranquil and peaceful. And that's what Paul wants us to know. Loved ones who've died in Christ... Well, he puts it in Philippians this way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our loss, that's why we grieve, is their gain. That's why we grieve with hope. They're in the better place now. That's our halfway hope. When in this life a believer dies, their body rests in the ground and their soul rises to be with the Lord in heaven. That's just our halfway hope though. Did you notice the language of sleep implies it's a temporary state. If you see someone asleep, you would expect that that's because they will soon be awake, right? In other words, a new day will dawn on the person who sleeps. Those who have died in Christ are asleep in that sense. Cemeteries for a Christian are like dormitories. (laughs) They're a place where the dead in Christ are now waiting for something else to happen. And that something else is the return of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, he will bring with him our ultimate hope that will fill in the whole picture. When Jesus returns, Paul describes it in this passage in Thessalonians as a trumpet sounding, the Lord appearing, and two things happen. Firstly, the dead will come with Jesus, and they will be given brand new resurrection, glorified bodies, and then the rest of us who are still alive, who are living in bodies, but frail and decrepit and at times sick and at times sinful and soon dying, that's my body right now, this thing at the return of Christ is going to get a serious upgrade. Amen? Isn't that good news? Some of us could probably do with an upgrade pretty soon, right? Well, it's coming. That is our hope in Jesus. When he returns, we're looking forward to resurrection and new creation through Jesus Christ. Therefore... The resurrection of Jesus that has already happened, that's behind us, guarantees our resurrection at the return of Jesus. He, in other words, Jesus is modeling our future look. Isn't that good news? See Jesus right now, and what you're seeing is your destiny. Because when we see him, we will be like him. It's rather like the imagine the butterfly that turns back to the caterpillars and says, One day you'll be like me. <laughs> I'm your destiny. We, folks, are but caterpillars in this life, fallen and frail and mortal beings. But one day soon we will be metamorphosed, transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, dead and living, resurrected in Jesus, will pass beyond death beyond sin and sickness and suffering, into glory. That is our ultimate hope. Amen. Amen. Here's how uh, Tom Wright puts it in his excellent book, Surprised by Hope. He puts it this way. If Paul is right, a Christian in the present life is a mere shadow of his or her future self. The self that they will be when the body which God has waiting in his heavenly storeroom is brought out, already made to measure, and put on forever. Jesus is our future look, and we have eternal, unstoppable hope of resurrection in him. Now, how will this happen? Did you notice in the passage, how will this happen on the day Jesus returns? Well, Paul says in verse 17, he says, We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord. Now, if you're a British reader, you might feel a certain disappointment at the weather forecast for this great day, right? Cloudy. Of all the, of, What are the chances? On the one day when Jesus returns, it's bad weather, right? Good for the garden, but unfortunate on this great day. Of course, that's not what Paul means. If you were an Old Testament Jewish reader, you wouldn't think cloudy mean, clouds means bad weather. You would remember that in the Old Testament, the cloud was the visible manifestation of the glory of God. It's called the Shekinah glory cloud. It appeared in the wilderness and led Israel. It filled the temple that Solomon built with God's glory. It came down on the Mount of Transfiguration in Jesus, and it was the cloud that he went up in when he ascended into heaven. And here's the news, folks. When Jesus returns, you and I, if we believe in him, we're going up into that glory. That is our ultimate hope. When, we, when Jesus returns... We will be raised into a moment of instantaneous transfiguration, metamorphosis. In that glory, all our frailty will disappear and we will be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet, we will all be changed. And we will emerge from that cloud back to inhabit a pristine new creation as those shimmering and shining with the glory of God. That is our ultimate hope. Can you imagine your before and after look with that cloud? What we are before—frail and dying—and what we will be when we have been transformed in His presence? We will be instantaneously, almost unrecognizable, filled with this extraordinary glory. What will that be like? Well, just to illustrate by way of humour, I heard the story of two of an Amish father and son, the Amish who, who live away from modern technology and dwellings, but they'd never been in a city. But one day, um, curiosity got the better of this Amish father and son, and they decided to set out on their horse and cart, and they rode into New York, right? Never seen a city before. They were completely gobsmacked, amazed by the the color, the technology, the lights, the vehicles, and somehow they ended up in a shopping mall, and uh, they passed various shops and saw things they'd never seen, and ended up, to cut a long story short, in front of two steel gray doors. And as they watched, a rather elderly lady hobbled up to the doors, pressed the button on the right, and the doors opened, and she passed into the light. Doors closed behind her. And as they watched, about a minute later, the doors opened again, and out stepped a beautiful young lady. And the father turned and said, son, go get your mother. (laughs) Transformation in a moment. That story, however poor my sense of humor, illustrates the glory that one day will be ours. Can you imagine the difference between those who go in and those who come out of this cloud of glory? That's what Paul means. When the Lord returns, that's our unstoppable hope. And that will culminate in a moment of celestial reunion. For those of us who've lost loved ones, this may be the most moving thought in this passage, but Paul here touches on the moment when those that death has separated will finally be reunited. For me right now, that has particular poignancy, and I'm sure it does for many of us as well. Paul uses two words in this passage that come together in a powerful way. He says that we will be together forever. What a thought that is. Together forever. Forever, Death has a brutal way of breaking apart the closest bond in this life. But Jesus Christ will bring that back together for those who believed in him. And we will be together forever. What a thought. Those that we have lost in Christ will be reunited in glory because of all the hope that we have in Jesus. Now this is our unstoppable hope. And Paul then steps back from it all at the end of the passage and finishes with an exhortation. How should we respond to this hope? Well, listen to his simple phrase in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage. Literally, that word means to put courage into. He's saying in the light of these truths, put courage into your soul and into one another's by reminding ourselves that however tough life may feel, However hard our emotional experiences may be, in spite of it all, we have an unstoppable hope. We have something waiting for us, if you like, round the corner, that is unstoppable and certain in Jesus. And whatever we're facing, that hope can encourage us, in spite of, to live unstoppable lives. And in God's great plan of salvation, I want to encourage you, this is the next thing to happen. All other great moments in salvation history are behind us. The one thing that's now ahead of us is that Jesus is coming soon and he brings with him our unstoppable hope. I remember when I used to play rugby, um, on a couple of occasions it was a very tight fixture, tight match, the scores were close. And towards the end of the game, wondering, you know, are we going to hold out here, up against it? I can remember asking the referee, how long have we got left? And on one occasion, I remember him saying in a cup match, I remember him saying, the next whistle you hear will be the final whistle. Now, when you hear that, however tired you are, however hurting you are, suddenly it summons in you this kind of, well, come on then, right? If we're nearly there, let's play hard to the final whistle. Let's not give up or give in. Let's play to the final whistle and see this one through to the end. Amen? And that's what Paul means. In the light of this hope, I encourage you, play to the final whistle. Don't be bullied by death. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grieve well, but rejoice in the hope that we have and allow these truths to encourage us to live unstoppable lives in spite of life's challenges. We can be those who, when we put our faith in Jesus, can therefore sing and declare over all challenges that we face, The words of a great song we're going to sing in a moment. There's no guilt in life and no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That's the unstoppable hope that we have through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage us to live well, to grieve well, and to die well as a people with unstoppable hope.